Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the show where we meet Charlotte area authors and those who visit the Queen City, and we hear them read their work. Today's a special Season 3 preview episode. That's right, we're just about ready to kick off another season filled with local talented authors and those who pay us a visit. And like Seasons 1 and 2, we're sponsored again by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte. If you love books, Park Road Books is the place for you. Stop by the store to find your next great read. The store's right there in Park Road Shopping Center with the big blue letters. Now, I have the privilege today of sharing the microphone with local actor and podcast host Brian LaFontaine. I probably didn't pronounce his name right. He'll, <laughs> he'll tell me that in a minute. <laughs> Whose podcast called You May Have Seen is part of the Queen City Podcast Network, a collection of podcasts focusing on Charlotte life and culture. Now, if we could have like an imaginary drum roll, please, because I have an announcement to make. Charlotte Rears Podcast is accepting an invitation to join as now officially a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. I do hear the imaginary clapping out there, and we're happy to. We'll talk more about that later in the show, because now to borrow some showbiz lingo, it's time for some action. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. In today's episode, we meet Brian LaFontaine, a Charlotte actor and podcast host of You May Have Seen, a show where Brian explores behind-the-scenes stories with actors you may have seen in your favorite television shows and movies, but you probably don't know their names. Brian reads The Deliberation, a short story written by me that won a contest in 2016. And the year 2016 was one of those unwelcome times in North Carolina for gay and transgender individuals after the legislature passed a law that reversed the city of Charlotte's effort to extend protections to them. Sometimes referred to as the bathroom bill, HB2 brought national criticism to the state and wrote a wave of religious freedom bills in state legislatures across the country. Depending on one's point of view, such laws either protected the religious freedoms of business owners to operate within their faith, or they legislated discrimination against the LGBT community. This political environment was the inspiration for the short story. Brian also talks about acting in his podcast, and when we're done with all that, I answer the question, what's coming in season three? But first, we start with Brian's reading of The Deliberation. The Deliberation by Landis Wade. The door banged shut behind the six of us, and we stood still, measuring the jury deliberation room with our eyes. There were no windows, just block walls with peeling paint. The centerpiece of the room was a rectangular table, bracketed by metal chairs along each of its two long sides. A credenza sat against one wall, with two pitchers of water and six glasses resting on top. A single door was cracked to our right, revealing a small bathroom. Fixed to the ceiling were two fluorescent light strips with a dusty plastic cover, making the light in the room look tired. The room was a depressing downgrade from the one we used during the trial, and there was only one way to escape with our votes. Well, it ain't exactly the Ritz, but I've seen worse, Ricky Brewster said. And you want us to believe you've stayed at the Ritz? Sylvia Trammell's criticism was not surprising. She had been openly hostile to Ricky Brewster throughout the trial. I wouldn't dare friend that man on my Facebook, she whispered to me one day. And I friend just about everybody. She seemed proud of her cyber social group and had no plans on expanding it to include Ricky Brewster. Now she was stuck with him 
in a dismal 15 by 20 foot room with no internet access. But Ricky just laughed. He tolerated Sylvia's remarks, biting as they were, because of her looks. Don't you think Sylvia's hot? He asked me at one of our breaks. I resisted offering my opinion, hoping to remain neutral on the topic. But I did try to dissuade him from making a move by pointing out their age difference. Him being 33 and she being 50-something. It didn't work. He said, her experience made the idea of hooking up exciting. The other three persons in the room looked at Ricky, but they said nothing. Probably because his constant optimism was draining. Ricky was not school smart, but he definitely was a common sense expert. When the judge said the trial would last two days longer than anticipated, everyone but Ricky complained. You shouldn't fret about what you can't control, he said. Bill Baxter ignored Ricky and stepped forward to offer himself for the job of jury foreman. He did so by grabbing the closest chair available, sliding it to the head of the table and taking a seat. Guess I've been around the longest, he said. All of us took a chair except for Joan Rogers, the mid-40s human resources consultant who went to the credenza to grab a pitcher of water and a tray of glasses for the table. At least someone is being polite, Sylvia said, looking hard at Bill. Everyone filled their water glasses, took a drink, and then for a few minutes, no one spoke. Lacey Rainier, a yoga teacher and youngest in the room at 28, broke the silence. I would like to nominate Ken as foreman. Why? Bill asked. I've got 40 years' experience owning my own construction company, and no offense to Ken, but that beats 15 years teaching elementary school. Besides, he hasn't said a word about this case the whole trial. Exactly, Jones said, seconding the motion. He knows how to follow directions. When the judge said not to talk about the case, he listened. Plus, we may need his classroom management skills before we're done. They were talking about me as if I weren't in the room. What do you think, Ken? Are you up for it? Ricky asked. I pushed the glasses back up my nose and responded, I don't really want to be foreman, but I will do it if everyone wants me to. See, Lacey said, he's perfect. If he wanted to do it, we couldn't trust him. What is it with you and trusting people? Bill growled. You didn't trust the restaurant owner because he's a Republican, and you didn't trust the policeman because he's a cop. Lacey edged up in her seat, ready to defend herself, when Joan politely headed her off. Let's try to calm down. It's been a long trial, and the sooner we get to work, the sooner we can get home to our families. I suggest we vote on Ken as foreman. After the vote, Sylvia looked at Bill and said, You've been demoted, sport. Better give up the head of the table. It's okay, I said to Bill. We can all sit where we are. But Bill wouldn't have it. Glaring at Sylvia, he got up and walked to my side of the table and sat next to me and directly across from her, staring her in the eyes. It was Ricky, Bill, and me on one side, facing Joan, Sylvia, and Lacey on the other. I didn't like the way the men were facing off against the women. So, how do you want to proceed? I asked the group. Let's take a vote. I know where I stand, Bill said. Me too, Sylvia said. Let's get this over with. The others said it was fine, so we took a secret ballot vote. On the charge of criminal trespass against the three defendants, there were three guilty votes, two not guilty votes, and one undecided vote. Mine. So, who thinks these people are innocent? Bill said, raising his voice. The law is clear. They were trespassing. But the law may be illegal, Lacey said. And where did you learn that? Bill asked. It was in the papers, Ricky said. 
Sylvia feigned surprise. You can read? You weren't supposed to be reading the papers, Joan offered. Ricky just shrugged. Everyone paused and looked to me for guidance. Maybe we should discuss the evidence, I suggested. Who would like to go first? Sylvia didn't hesitate. Her ability to be judgmental appeared natural. Perhaps it had come from years of practice. They were told to leave, and they didn't. That's trespassing in my book. I agree, Bill said. If the owner didn't want to serve them dinner, it was her right. The two of you seem to be getting along fine now, Lacey said. Do you believe what you're saying, or do you just want to get home to your own dinner? Is arrogance something they taught you in yoga school? Bill shot back. I silently held up one hand like I do with my second grade students to get their attention. I have only one rule as foreman, I said. When we disagree, we need to be respectful. Can we do that, please? Grudgingly, Bill and Lacey agreed, and the others nodded their approval. Joan then offered her thoughts. I believe there is more at stake here than the rights of the restaurant owner, she said. What about the defendants? Don't they have rights? I agree, Lacey said. The judge said the owner must hold a firmly held religious conviction against serving homosexuals in a restaurant. I bet the owner is just prejudiced against gay people and she's using religion as an excuse. And even if the owner is a religious fanatic, I don't agree with the law. The bathroom thing got to me, Ricky confided. When the, what do you call him, the transvestite decided to use the women's restroom, that was a good reason to tell him to leave. You mean transgender woman, Lacey corrected. Whatever, Ricky said. It's not natural. A man thinking he's a woman and dressing like one so he can use the woman's bathroom? Bill looked at me. So you must be the undecided vote, he said. Do you think men have the right to use the women's bathroom and lesbians have the right to hold hands and kiss in a public restaurant? I was starting to feel uncomfortable with the culture war playing out in front of me, so I deflected. Bill, I'm undecided because I'm trying to understand the rights and feelings of the restaurant owner and the three defendants. Well, I think it's wrong not to serve food to someone because they're gay, Lacey said. It's the same thing restaurants did to black people before the civil rights law. That's different. Blacks have no choice but to be black, Bill said. Gays choose to be gay, so it's not the same thing. That's not true, Lacey said. Agree to disagree, Bill responded. Lacey leaned forward. When did you agree to be heterosexual, Bill? What do you mean? If it's a choice, you must have made one. When did you do it? Well, I... Okay, I said. I think we understand the points on both sides. In a more pragmatic tone, Joan said, I agree with Lacey. I don't believe that being gay is a lifestyle choice, like deciding how to dress or whether to get a tattoo. But the Bible says it's wrong, Ricky said. A man shall not lay down with a man. It's common sense to me. Men and women parts are the ones that fit together. Simple as that. He looked at Sylvia as he said it. Can't believe what I'm hearing, Lacey said. We have Bill playing doctor about what it means to be gay and Ricky citing biblical law like he's preaching on Sunday. Now wait a damn minute, Bill shouted. Who the hell gave you the right to... I placed my hand gently on Bill's shoulder and asked him to please calm down. He stopped talking, but his face was a bright shade of red. Let's everyone take a break, I suggested. Get some more water, use the restroom, and let's start back in ten minutes. During the break, the lobbying began. Joan and Lacey approached me first. Their minds were made up before the trial started, Lacey said. They do seem reluctant to accept people who are different, Joan added. I thanked them for their input and headed for the restroom, only to be intercepted 
by Ricky and Bill. Are the women trying to butter you up? Ricky asked. More like sway his vote, Bill said. He was still mad. I plan to stay open-minded, I said. Just then, Sylvia stepped out of the bathroom, bowed, and waved me through. Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? She said. What's that? I asked. You and I using the same bathroom? She smiled. When everyone was back at the table, I made a suggestion. What if we divide up into teams and play a little game just for fun and see where it takes us? Can we pick teams? Ricky asked, looking at Sylvia. I was thinking, Ricky, that you and Bill can be a team and Joan and Lacey can be a team. What about you and me? Sylvia asked. I will be the moderator and you will judge the arguments. What are we arguing? Joan asked. You and Lacey will argue why there should be a guilty verdict, and Ricky and Bill will argue why the verdict should be not guilty. But that is totally opposite of our positions, Bill said. It's a waste of time. I'm not sure about this either, Lacey said. Have you ever played the devil's advocate? I asked the group. It's a great way to test your beliefs. You mean, Ricky asked, we are arguing in favor of what the devil wants? Something like that, I said. You are arguing the case from the other side's point of view. To do it, everyone needs to be open-minded. But I know you can do it. Each team needs to convince Sylvia the devil is right. And then what? Bill said. And then? And then you will hear my verdict. Sylvia seemed to like the idea of being the judge. Ten minutes later, after the two teams had huddled and written down their arguments, I flipped a coin for the order of the presentations. Bill and Ricky won, but they elected to defer. Just like in the NFL, Ricky said. Anytime you're ready, I said, looking at Joan and Lacey. Joan went first. Being a business owner is hard, she said. It's not a nine-to-five job, especially if you own a restaurant. You are there all the time trying to make it work, which means trying to make enough money to take care of your employees and make a little for yourself. You face repeated local regulation by the health department and the fire marshal, and if that's not enough, you have to deal with a long list of federal agencies like the Department of Labor and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission who want to criticize how you pay and treat your employees, even when you do your best to be fair. In fact, a business owner has very few rights in the eyes of the government, which is why the recent law is so important. Religion is a personal right to be exercised freely. An owner of a restaurant who has sweated and toiled to make her business a reality should have a little freedom to run her business consistent with her religious beliefs. Joan nodded to Lacey, who picked it up from there. I'm not a very religious person, Lacey said, but I respect the rights of all people to exercise their religious beliefs without government interference. A legitimately held religious conviction is a precious right not to be trampled. In this case, the defendants could have gone to any restaurant, but they picked this one for their anniversary celebration. It's odd because the owner is a well-known supporter of Christian ministries and an outspoken advocate of the new law. Why would they go somewhere they knew they weren't welcome? The defendants say they went for the food and drink, but I believe they went to make a point. Lacey looked a bit ill, but she finished strong. The United States Supreme Court says that gays have the freedom to marry their same-sex partners, but that doesn't give them the right to disrespect a property owner's religious beliefs. This law strikes a balance between competing rights. If the same-sex couple doesn't leave when asked and the request is genuine, it's trespassing. Not just on the owner's property, but on the owner's legitimate religious convictions. 
About 30 seconds passed before anyone spoke. Sylvia looked up from her notes to see Ricky and Bill staring at Lacey with confused looks on their faces. Your turn, Sylvia said. Ricky picked up his sheet of paper and went first. I'm a textile worker, Ricky said. There aren't many of us left, but there's all kinds of us. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Too many kinds to count. Yeah, we look different, and we vote different, and we have different things we like to do after work, but we all want some of the same things in life. Ricky paused before he continued. For one, we want to find a person we can love, who will love us back, and we want to be able to build a life with that person. I don't know any gay people, but I know this. If two lesbians decide to get married, it won't affect my life. More power to them. Why should my minister care about it? Or make me feel guilty for cutting them some slack. He's not God. Let God be the judge. And let's say I do own a restaurant. Why should I deny service to someone because they're gay? That doesn't sound very Christian to me. Plus, it's good business to be nice to all your customers. If the defendants were trespassing on anything, it was closed-minded behavior. Kick people out for fighting. Don't kick them out for being in love. Sylvia stopped taking notes about halfway through Ricky's speech. She and the other women in the room looked like they had seen a strange apparition wearing Ricky's clothes. I wondered if Bill would break the spell. Bill looked around the room and then at his notes. Clearing his throat, he began. I've been running a business most of my life, and very few things surprise me. But the facts of this case do. I'm a conservative. I don't like government in my life, and I want to be able to exercise my religion as I see fit but I also want to be able to go where I please. The idea that a restaurant can refuse food to me because the owner is religiously opposed to the kind of person I am should not be supported by any law. If you open your doors to do business, they should be open to all who have the ability to walk in. This law would allow a Catholic to refuse to serve a Protestant, or a Baptist to deny entry to a Methodist, or a Jew to bar a Buddhist from the buffet. It's just food, people. Come on. Bill wiped his mouth and looked at his notes again. One of the best workers I ever had was a single man who never married. He was polite, honest, talented, and loyal. He died in the late 80s of AIDS. I guess he was gay, but it didn't matter to me. What does matter to me is that this law would allow a restaurant to deny him a meal if he were here today. I agree with Ricky. People deserve dignity and there is nothing dignified about this law. As for the transgender defendant, I don't understand what makes him identify as a woman. Maybe it's a choice. Maybe it's medical. Doesn't matter to me. As long as you're in and out of the bathroom with a purpose, what difference does it make? So I say live and let live, and open the restrooms to both sexes. Maybe it will cut down on the lines. When Bill was finished, Lacey said, Thank you, Bill. And you too, Ricky. Regardless of how we vote, I appreciate what you said. I turned to Sylvia. What do you say, Judge? Sylvia looked at Bill first, then Ricky, and then at Joan and Lacey. She had two pages of notes in front of her, but she appeared lost for words. It was the first time her sharp tongue had failed her. Tell you what, I said. You don't have to judge a winner. Just tell us how you feel. I feel like I neglected my responsibilities by not giving this case the attention it deserves. Everyone 
and I mean everyone, showed me a side of this case I hadn't seen before. Like what? I asked. The restaurant owner and the defendants all have legitimate concerns, and the answer to the question before us is not that simple. The far right and the far left say the answer is clear, but I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. I don't know how I'm going to vote, but I want to thank everyone for opening my eyes. I guess this is what it feels like to be open-minded. Thank you, Sylvia. That took courage, I said. So what do we do now? Bill asked. His tone was more conciliatory than when we started. Let's talk some more, I said, and then we can vote. Joan raised her hand. I laughed. You don't have to raise your hand, Joan. We're not in class. Might as well be, Ricky said. I'm learning something new. Joan mentioned the judge's instruction about the need to find guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Does that mean the restaurant owner has to have a sincerely held religious conviction against serving homosexuals beyond a reasonable doubt? Joan asked. Good question, I responded. I don't know, but it seems logical. What does everyone else think? Everyone thought it seemed logical too. So, Sylvia said, who believes the owner's religious conviction against homosexuality is sincere beyond a reasonable doubt? And who thinks it's just prejudice disguised as religion? Before anyone answers, Lacey said, remember that the answer could mean that two of the defendants are convicted simply for celebrating their anniversary. No one appeared anxious to vote. Perhaps we should take the bathroom issue first, I said. We have to decide whether the transgender defendant, who admitted he has male anatomy, used the women's bathroom. The law says a person must use the bathroom of their biological sex, based on their birth certificate, and if he or she doesn't, then it's trespassing. So, where's the birth certificate? Ricky asked. The state didn't put it into evidence. I'm with Ricky, Bill said. It's up to the state to prove their case. They never showed us the birth certificate. That sounds like a technicality, Sylvia said, but I'm willing to live with it. To my surprise, Joan pushed back. I disagree with the bathroom law. And I don't think there was any harm done, she said. But don't we have a duty to follow the law, even if the result is not what we want? I respect you for that, Bill said. It doesn't make this any easier, but I admire your integrity. Maybe, Ricky said. The court will find the bathroom law to be illegal, even if we convict. That's what the newspaper said might happen. No guarantee there, Lacey said. For the next 30 minutes, we talked openly and without fear. We listened rather than debated, and we explored the issues from all sides. We did so without hostility or ill feeling, and we spoke without bias toward the parties or prejudice against their beliefs. I suppose we did what juries are supposed to do, and what politicians and the media rarely do. But in the end, we had to make a decision. After we had talked everything out, it only took one vote to reach our verdict. I folded the verdict sheet and knocked on the door to let the bailiff know we were ready. The six of us made our way back into the courtroom and took our seats in the jury box. The three defendants, with anxious looks on their faces, sat with their attorney. Their family and friends sat in the pews behind them. The restaurant owner and his supporters filled the pews behind the prosecutor. There were three or four reporters in the back row. Would the foreman please rise? The judge said. When I stood up, she asked, Has the jury reached a verdict? I told her, Yes. 
and she asked me to hand the verdict sheet to the bailiff. I did, and the bailiff took it to the judge, who looked it over. When she finished, she looked up. Is this verdict unanimous? The judge asked. It is, Your Honor, I said. It definitely is. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Landis. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for reading that story. You uh, you made it sound a lot better than it was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. That's really well written. I enjoyed uh, reading it, and uh, yeah, it's no, a great little story. Yeah, thank you. Um, now, you're an actor, and my sense is that the acting community is probably much more accepting uh, than the general population on issues of sexual orientation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, well... I, take, I can't say absolutely, right. but in general, yes. yes. Um, it's certainly, uh, it's usually supported much more liberally and quote-unquote progressively. You yeah. know, I mean, every time I go to the, the Blumenthal, they do the yeah. little Broadway cares afterwards yes. and soliciting money yep. to support AIDS and that yes. kind of thing. So, yes. yeah, I just got, got a sense of that. Uh, but, uh, okay, so, hey, look, uh, thanks for joining me today. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You're an actor and you're a... Uh, you're, uh, you've been doing it. I guess I should say, where have we seen you? <laughs> <laughs> That's the tagline for um, your podcast. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, all kinds of things. I mean, I've been doing I've been doing this professionally for 28 years now. That's yeah. crazy to think yeah. about. Um, so right uh, out of right out of school, or, or even well, before even, that? even before that, you know, yeah. I started doing stand up comedy when I was in college, um, and I was you know just playing clubs locally, whether it be in, in Charlotte or in. In New England, in Boston, in the Providence area where I'm from, um, and then after I graduated from from Catawba College in Salisbury, mm-hmm. yeah, that's where I went to school. That's how I ended up in North Carolina from Rhode Island, which is where I'm from. So, what what what, what struck you? What what was the bug that got you going? Why did you? I, well, I mean, you know, and I've I've kind of I've told this story a few times now um, on a couple of different interviews, but um, I went to Catawba on a small golf scholarship, and. Um, they did not like my game very not, much. Not because you were small, but it was just yeah, a small no, scholarship. Yeah, it was a small scholarship. <laughs> Their program was uh, was really, really tiny at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know it's grown since then, but yeah. Um, yeah, so they offered me a little bit of money to play, basically just because they needed bodies to fill the team <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And um, yeah, they uh, they did not like my game very much, so they kicked me off the team, took my scholarship back. And, and you um, went straight to the, uh, I to, went, to the theater, right? Kind, yeah. uh, almost, kind of. Um, yeah. I, I started doing stand-up. Then uh, mm-hmm. at that time, you know, I had making fun well, of golfers. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I didn't. I think I was still too angry. I do it. I do it now. Yeah. Um, and then that led into uh, into the acting business. Uh, you know, I had just graduated from from school, and I was you know being a graduate bum like most people right out, right out of college. Mm-hmm. And a buddy of mine said, "You should go and audition over at Theater Charlotte. They're mm-hmm. doing these two Neil Simon plays, and you'd be great. And so I was like, all right, I'll go yeah. and audition. And I yeah. got the lead in both shows. That's great. Yeah, yeah. so that's just kind of how it happened. And uh, there's a Judy Simpson-Cook, who was in the cast. Uh, she was a talent agent with JTA Talent here in Charlotte, which is a really well-known uh, talent agency for film and television and commercials. And she was like, you're coming with me. And JTA you know, picked me up and... That's when I started auditioning for film and TV and commercials and all that stuff. So I don't think of sh- other than Home and you were in Homeland, I think, or mm-hmm. I was. other than that show and a couple right. others. I mean, I don't think of Charlotte as a place 
you know, for actors typically. I what? mean, I mean, the, the North Carolina legislature has not been kind no, to the film industry. No, right? they have not. But yeah. back then they were. Okay. And up and up through the, the end of 2014, it was a, a really, I mean, you know, there were peaks and valleys over right. the years. But, uh, you know, North Carolina was a great, great, great place yeah. to be. Is and it going to come back? Can we make it? You know? Well, we can. We can yeah. not. You and I, no. <laughs> by ourselves, no, we cannot. Um, no. But, I mean, it is. It's a matter of, you know, the legislature, yeah, they, they have to get together and say, hey, we want to bring this back. We want Because yeah. it was a big, it was a $250 million a year, you know, revenue maker for the state of North Carolina, which is just bewildering why they let the sunset clause happen. I know it's yeah. all about, yeah. it's all politics, yeah. and I'm not going to get into that. But um, <laughs> Yeah, this is not a political show. No. But we thought few things here and sure. there. But to, so I, I was looking on your website, and people should go do that. By the way, give them your website. Uh, it's brianlafontaine.com. Okay, so you go there, you get these little clips of, of Brian, and, and you're going to see him in different shows that you recognize, and you go, oh, that's, that's, that guy's local? That's cool. You know? Yeah. But you, you're a doctor a lot. I am a doctor a lot. <laughs> so what med school did you go to? <laughs> right. I went to television med school. <laughs> yeah. um, you sound pretty convincing. I mean, you know, I'm not going to let you operate on my knee or anything. No. 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 But you look like. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I fit that doctor look. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I get. You got the short haircut. You got the. Very yeah, clean yeah. cut. Yeah. Very professional looking. Yeah. Yes. So you're, I, you were a doctor in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, a different kind of doctor in turn, right? I mean, that's. Well, yeah, country that, doctor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. that was because Turn was, you know, set during the Revolutionary War. So, at right. that, you know, it was so interesting to think about. Like, the term doctor at that time right. covered everything. It was, it's, he, was it's a, like he was a vet. Person he was, who carries leeches in their bag. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> worked on animals. He worked on humans. He was right. the town doctor. Right, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, so, was Homeland? Were you a doctor there? Or were you something yeah, else? Yeah, I was an anesthesiologist. I was a doctor. Again. Okay, again, yep. yeah. Yeah. Right. So, when are you going to med school? You know? Right. <laughs> Uh, now I saw something on uh, your website that, that Christmas on the Coast. Is that yep. like a Hallmark type movie or something? Yeah, I mean very similar to that. It was done uh, with the INSP network, which does a lot of well, it does all just family programming, just really mm-hmm. sweet, wonderful, heartfelt, mm-hmm. warm and fuzzy um, programming. And they've been really, really good to me. I've done uh, a few projects with them, and Christmas on the Coast was. Uh, this really sweet little Christmas movie that we did a couple of years ago that um, was uh, just released on Amazon last this past Christmas, and then I think it'll probably be out on Netflix if it isn't already. Hmm. You know, hmm. for people to watch year round. Well, you talk about your skills uh, in your resume, ear mm-hmm. prompter. What the hell is an ear prompter? Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, it's it's a lot simpler than mm-hmm. than what it may sound like, but okay. it's uh, it's. It's like a teleprompter. It's like what uh, newscasters use, okay. you know, but except it's wireless. But you, you know, still I got golf for, in your resume. You know? I do. Because yeah. yeah. I can, I mean, <laughs> while I'm not going to play on the tour anytime soon, I yeah. can play the game. And you've got bartending and taekwondo and yoga and racquetball and mm-hmm. making poot noises with your hands. You're getting, there you go. Okay. All right. Character yeah. voices. What kind of character voices? Oh, you my gosh. You're going to put me out. Because it's been years. It I used to do. You've got a little of, you know, clip on your website where you're doing I do. Yeah. I do. I do. Yeah. I do. I You know, I can do all kinds of weird yeah. sounds. But, I mean, I don't know if there's anyone in particular that yeah. I'm impersonating. Can't do Trump, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, and I don't yeah, want to. You don't want to. I don't to, want yeah. to. Okay. Well, because too many people are doing it, right. first of all. And there are a lot of bad impressions out there. Yeah. This, where have we seen you? This is, these are actors like yourself. Mm-hmm. I love your intro to to that uh, podcast. Uh, on your Facebook page, you say there are thousands of 
no name, not famous professional actors everywhere, and I happen to be one of them. Mm -hmm. These are our stories. Yep. I mean, does that kind of sum it up? Good stories about what it means to be a real actor that doesn't get the big press, doesn't get the, the right. big cash, but yet we matter too, damn it. And what, yeah. And that's sort of well, your. Well, because, you know, <laughs> these are. Th these actors that I'm talking with... I mean, you can't uh, are, do it without them. I mean, you can't... Well, exactly. But yeah. these people are just as committed to their profession. They are career-long actors, right. lifelong. Like, this yeah. is their chosen profession, just like being a lawyer, a doctor, a restaurant owner, or whatever. Uh -huh. And just because they're not famous, they haven't, you know, hit that level of celebrity or fame or notoriety, yeah. doesn't mean that, you know, cop number two is any less committed yeah. at his craft <laughs> and like trying that. to... And girl, and girl at party. Girl at party, <laughs> exactly. Um, she might have a big role. And like the guy right. you interviewed the other day... Uh, I don't know when it was. Uh, I listened to it about uh, he was in The Blind Side. What was his name? Uh, oh, Patrick Keenan, my yeah. good friend Pat Keenan. Yeah. yeah, so I was listening to that episode. It was a great episode, and he talked a lot about being in the right place at the right time. Sure. For the, he got on the trailer. Uh, yeah, 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 and, yeah. That, and, and with with Sandra Bullock at the DMV scene. Yep. Yeah. Yes, which again, it's funny because it's not in the DMV, but it looks like it. <laughs> it does. Yeah, and he said, and he said, but it led him to get other auditions, but and mm -hmm. pictures taken with the people that were auditioning him, but not further yeah. gigs necessarily. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So is that is it a struggle sometimes? I oh, mean, it's a constant struggle yeah. because you know we wake up every morning. I mean, we're all you know we're all independent contractors we're all freelance yeah. so we live that life of waking up not knowing if we're going to have work that day or that week or that month or when the next job is going to come mm. and is it going to be one day of work is it going to be a month's worth of work we have there's no way of knowing it's all one big question mark so i feel like there's some synergy here between what you're doing on your show and what i'm doing on my show because mm -hmm. um i interview local authors and those who visit charlotte and right. some are traditionally published uh some are small press some are independently published right all of them, they were having to promote their own work, mm -hmm. and they're all hiding in plain sight. You won't recognize them in the grocery store. Sure. And, and you're dealing with the same situation with yes. actors, right? People, yes. they've seen them somewhere. They can't mm -hmm. remember where, but they're they're out there. Yep. And, and one of the things you just mentioned a minute ago is this concept of rejection. Yeah. It's something that the actors that you know and the, <laughs> the writers I know sure. and even the good authors. And right. Rejection. I mean, you have, so how do you deal with rejection, Right. It's uh, it, it's still hard to deal with at times. Yeah. I mean, the, the the upside of the rejection is that we don't actually hear the no's. You know, when you audition for something, you send in your audition or you go to the audition and then you walk away. And, you know, if you don't get it, they don't call you up and say, hey, you didn't get it. You know, you just <laughs> right. don't hear anymore You could do this it. a little bit better. So, yeah. And yeah. It's the same thing with rejections that sometimes you don't hear when you submit to something. Sometimes you hear months later. Right. But there's no explanation. It's just, thank you very much for entering this contest. Yes. Uh, yeah. You came in 199. Yeah. Yeah. Or not even that. Yeah. Exactly. Like, what did I do? Why didn't it measure up? You know, why didn't exactly. I? Exactly. What, what did I do wrong? Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Nope. Maybe they wanted a, a fat guy yep. or, or a thin guy yep. or, or something yep. else, you know, right? Yep. Exactly. Uh, Circumstances yeah. beyond your control. And it takes a while, you know, I think for a, a lot of actors, it takes a while to, to really be able to wrap your head around that concept and to be able to relax with it and just say, look, all I can do is put my best work out there, and if they like it, great. And if not, then that means they wanted something else, and I can't do anything about that. All I can do is the best work that I can do and hope that that's what they're mm -hmm. looking for. And it may have been the same guest you're interviewing who talked about that struggle when he was interviewing for or, or auditioning for mm -hmm. something that was like fat guy climbing over a fence. And yes, he, that was and fat he, again. And yep. he couldn't even get that gig. So he says, what, am I not fat enough? Am I not, you know, am I, well, you know, I can't even do this, you know? Right, right. That's like the, the Right. The I mean, one. yeah, you got to have yeah. a really thick skin. And sometimes, you know, you, you you do take it personally because you just go in, what do I have to do to right. get 
noticed, to get recognized, <laughs> to get somebody's attention. Because at the end of the day, it is really a, a it feels like a constant like me, like me, like me, like me, like me. And yeah, yeah. when you don't get chosen, sure, I can certainly understand why it feels like nobody likes me. So what have you been most surprised to learn with your interviews of cops numbers two, three, and four and in this whole podcasting that well, you've been doing? I mean, I, it, it, a few things. It's been really great to, um, to realize that, you know, you're not alone in your struggles. Right. Like, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of responses from other actors uh, and people in the industry who listen to it and just in the interviews themselves of how the stuff that I struggle with and wrestle with on a daily basis it goes for just about all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're all dealing with the same concerns and frustrations and struggles and uh, accomplishments and excitement. So, I mean, we're it, you know, it's nice to know that there is, you can, you have a, 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 a what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, I don't know. You've, you've got your people. Right. Yes. Right, right. Um, and also what I, you know, and I've been asked this question before as well, but what I set out to really illustrate is just what I was saying before is that the guy who's playing cop number two is just as passionate about the craft mm-hmm. and his story is just as interesting as Brad Pitt's you know right. just because he's not famous doesn't mean that his story of getting to be cop number two is any less interesting than the celebrities that we hear from on such a regular basis so you're part now of the Queen City Podcast Network mm-hmm. right yeah yes I thought we'd talk about that in just a second sure so, so said at the top of the show, we've been invited to to join. We've accepted that invitation, and uh, if I can make this work, I'm I'm gonna play this little clip because I think you've probably got one too that you played during your. Oh, the little drop. Yeah, in. this is a little yes, drop in. We'll just we'll just do that. So I'm gonna do that so we can get information about where to go. But here's what it sounds like. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm among the famous podcasters there in Charlotte. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So you, you've, you've been uh, sort of networking with some of the other podcasts that are in this group. It's uh, kind of a Charlotte-centric group of podcasts. Is right. That right? Yeah. yeah, I think that they're, uh, you know, that Brian's uh, focus behind the or purpose behind the Queen City Podcast Network is that, it, you know, these are all Charlotte-based podcasts revolving around people in the community of Charlotte. Um, right. Yeah. But there's Charlotte Newsmakers, uh, which is, uh, I think I guess they talk about what, what news. <laughs> I, I have to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. get to listen to all of them. So yeah. Do Good Charlotte. They're talking about good things happening in Charlotte. The Players Report, they're doing sports uh, mm-hmm. with Colin Cole. The Charlotte Podcast, they've been around a while, news and current events. Uh, you were on the 1K, 1,000. I was on the 1K, Second yes. interview podcast. Yep. And the clock's ticking during that, right? Yeah. Scott Galloway. Sure it is. Yeah. Sure, the clock's ticking. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. They don't do that in post at all. <laughs> the Yelp Charlotte Podcast, Food Business Entertainment, Cheer Charlotte Radio. They look at the craft brewery scene. Mm-hmm. Got the Comedy Zone. Uh, yep. And there it is. You may have seen. You Charlotte have seen. actor Brian LaFontaine talks with other actors whose faces may seem familiar from your favorite shows and movies. So how many shows and movies have you been in? Uh, I think my IMDb page has me at 37. Okay. All right. Yep. American Timelines, they talk about history, the comics alternative. Two guys with PhDs talk about comic books. That's crazy. I love it. Yep. And Charlotte is Creative, the podcast mm-hmm. that reinforces the notion that everyone's creative. Yep. And, of course, Charlotte Reader's Podcast is joining and maybe one or two more. Um, this this whole thing called podcasting, you've been at it about a year now? Yeah, right? just a little yeah. over a year. And what do you think? 
It's a lot of work. Yeah. It is a lot of work, especially when you're doing it by yourself. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you definitely ha- you have to have a passion for it. Um, you're hopefully hopefully you're not expecting to get rich off of it. <laughs> yeah. well, if you've gotten rich, I need to talk to you That's after right. after we go off the, That's right. the air here uh, because right. no, I, I agree. It it has to be a passion project. Mm-hmm. They're not. Uh, they're not handing out bags of cash. They no, are not. They're not they're, even handing out tic tacs of cash. <laughs> but uh, but you're doing. You know you're supporting local uh, local actors, and yes. I'm supporting local authors. Yes. So you know there's a community that's getting developed there. Absolutely. Through that process. You should listen to uh, the interview that I did with Dave Hager, who okay. is a, who's a local actor, but he's also an author. Oh, okay. Uh, and okay. he's written a couple of uh, like crime mystery novels All that right. are out there. So All right, listeners, ch- listen to that. Go check out. That episode. So, do you have seasons, or do you just run them one to whatever? I I, I uh, try to release one every two weeks. Okay. So I haven't, uh, and I've just been, you know, just continually going. So mm-hmm. I haven't uh, defined them specifically into seasons. So yeah, but you ongoing. you can find it on your website, and then you've got your own Apple and right. Stitcher and Spotify. And all Everywhere this, all you find things. your podcast, you can find yeah. you may have seen. <laughs> okay, well, um, if you can hang around just a second. Um, I'll talk a little bit about my season three, Do and, then, it. and we're gonna, you know, there co- might be a couple things here that that interest you. If, mm-hmm. By the way, I, before we do that, this show is about books, mm-hmm. about reading, about writing. You got some favorite books? I do have. I certainly I have favorite books. Yeah. Um, I I don't read as much as I probably should, and yeah. I'm sure that it's yeah. difficult for the authors that the actual <laughs> physical book is becoming a thing of the past. Yeah. Um, because of course, doing what I do as a profession, it's really entertaining for me to listen to audiobooks, yeah. to hear the interpretation. Uh, authors that don't way. mind that their their books get turned into audiobooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're so, still you're still digesting the stories. Yes. You're just doing it in a different way. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, some of the my favorite books that I've read, uh, even as corny as it's going to sound, I don't care. I loved the entire Harry Potter series. Oh, yeah. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I read that when I was in my 30s, and I yeah. was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't get enough of it. Well, um, in, in our house, I had to read it. After the other three people lived in my house. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> I had young children at the time, mm-hmm. eight and twelve. They went through it. My wife went through it. I got the leftover. You did know, you really? I, I did, but I read them too. They, they was well written. Um, I really enjoyed The Alchemist. I really enjoyed uh, The Kite Runner. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I actually just listened to uh, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, but that's because I was in the movie. I was going to say, so, yeah, yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, um, you know, that was a, a really great project to be a part of. That's probably one of the the biggest honors for me it just feels like because just the the movie i think is such an important story and such an important yeah. uh, especially right S- now sum it up a little bit for us for our listeners uh the hate you give is uh, uh, a young adult uh, novel that was on the uh, new york times bestseller list uh written by angie thomas and it's a uh, it's a black lives matter story it's about a young girl uh who uh her and her friend get pulled over by a police officer and the cop shoots her friend hmm. um and it becomes that whole you know, trial, uh, and just, you know, how, how it affects her and how it affects the community. Um, I think it was a community read here in Charlotte. Too, it was, recently. it was. Yeah, and yeah. they asked me to be a part of a couple of their, uh, get togethers, which was really, really nice. And I play, you know, I play, um, who do you play? I, I, I play detective. Cop, cop number two. Well, yeah. actually I do have a name. <laughs> I play detective Wilkes, who is in the book. Um, okay. and he's, you know, and again, I'm, I'm in the movie, right. but it's the right. interrogation scene of, of the character star, who's the main character after the shooting, when they bring her in to interrogate her to, to get her story, it's myself and my, and my, uh, my female partner who interrogate her. So it was a very, very, you mm-hmm. know, intense scene, um, because, uh, being a white man, I, 
there's no way that I could have prepared myself for what that scene was going to mean to the other actors in, you know, who, mm-hmm. who were in the film who have to experience this, you know, mm-hmm. sort of mindset or life that, you know, that, that they feel. Um, so, you know, it was, it was really, really difficult for me to sit there and grill this poor young girl and to sort of, you know, throw accusations at her, insinuations at her, um, it, you know, it was it, didn't, it was truly it didn't feel right. You were truly being an actor. Oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of apologizing going on in between yeah. takes. It was like I'm so sorry, and they're like, "No, you guys are doing great. It's great. That's so exactly I, what we want." I was curious about that because I was watching. You know, we, uh, my binge Netflix and Amazon and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, on, and just great writing, great shows, sure. PBS on there. But there, there are some some characters you want to hate so bad. Yep, and you're thinking. Well, they're probably a good person. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, but they're exactly. doing a good job making you not exactly. like them. <laughs> yep. Right. But, yes. but the other characters wouldn't look nearly as special without the evildoer Mm-mm. in the scene, right? Yeah. No, not at yeah. all. But uh, it's nice when they can add some complexity to the evildoer to make them a little bit likable, but then a lot hateable. You know, sure. Yeah, a little bit of that. So, Well, this might be a good transition because uh, for our listeners, the first episode of my season three is with Gavin Edwards. He's a New York Times bestselling author, and he tells real-life stories about celebrity actors Tom Hanks and Bill Murray. Nice. Yeah, so we we, we get into the whole uh, history of Tom Hanks and how he grew up. uh, Oh, my gosh. Cool. Getting into his career. And and believe it or not, he started out kind of like what you've been describing. He he did some some different things. Of course, everything fell into place for him, but it started on a TV sitcom, I think, called Bosom Buddies. Oh, yeah, sure did. And then from there, you know, he became who he became. Yep. Um, now, Bill Murray, of course, right. uh, you know, the guy everyone loves to have crashed their party. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gavin talks about the dark side of Bill, too, and about how Bill— Have you ever run into either one of these guys? I, I, well, I was, uh, I was in uh, From the Earth to the Moon, which was a miniseries for HBO um, uh-huh. back in the late 90s that Tom Hanks was a producer of. He produced it along with Ron Howard. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, that's as close as I've come to Tom Hanks is that I was in one of his projects. Right, well, that's— Anyway, it's a great episode. I enjoyed doing it. I think the listeners, you're, you're going to like Gavin talking about these two celebrities. You're going to find out some things about both of them that uh, that, that you probably didn't know. Uh, then we're going to have a um, – I'm going to do my first live – have you done a live podcast before? I have not. Okay. Well, I want to do it. Uh, are you going to do it with uh, Queen City Podcast Network? You know the, that thing that's coming up in May. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been able to line anybody up. My yeah. biggest catch is that there. You know, he's like, you get, we need to try and keep it clean because there's going to be people coming through and whatever. And we're yeah. actors and we <laughs> curse like sailors and it's tough. But I mean, I also I I, I haven't been able to really line anybody up yet. Yeah. Well, I hope you can do it. We're, I, I'm going to be doing this on uh, May 10th. It's going to be at uh, Center City at the Coco and the Director coffee shop in the Marriott there. They've got some stage seating. Nice. Uh, I'll be at 1 o'clock on that Friday, May 10th. It's going to be Kathy Izzard. It'll be released the following Tuesday. Kathy wrote a book, The Hunter Story Home, uh, Breaking Ground to House the Chronically Homeless Homeless in Charlotte. Hmm. It's a great story about how a lot of people came together to help um, to help the homeless. Then we have, um, ah, this is where things, you, you talked about explicit and people, that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the words and so forth. Jessica Peterson and Rick Prill, they're coming on. Uh, they're romance authors. Okay. Romance is Unleashed in Jessica's Charleston Heat series and in Rick's The Shimmer of Prague. Now, you wouldn't believe this, Brian, but in Rick's book, the characters have sex on page 10. And in Jessica's book, she teases it out to page 110, 120. <laughs> <laughs> and we explore the psychology of that, you know, in, in this episode. And so, listeners, you'll get a sort of an inside look at uh, – 
what goes on uh, in a romance novel making process. Then we got Mark DeCastric. Mark is a uh, he's a mystery writer. Um, he has two series. One is the Burying Barry series because he grew up in a funeral home, hmm. and Mark puts the fun in funeral in his in his books. That's pretty funny. And Sam Blackman series is an ex war vet. He sets that in Asheville. But one of the recent Sam Blackman series was set at the uh, I think it's the Black Mountain College uh, up there in, in Black Mountain. There was a college in the 30s or 40s where a lot of people. Uh, uh, physicists and so forth. Anyway, it's, it's, it's an interesting mystery. He goes through the genre of writing mystery and talks about, uh, reads from and talks about several of his mystery books. Um, then we've got Abigail DeWitt. Uh, you, you read literary fiction or listen to it? I mean, Abigail's book here is set in World War II. You done any World War II stuff? I haven't. Or, yeah, I yeah, haven't. Yeah. No, I haven't done no, any no World history. War II period yeah. stuff yet. No. Well, she sets this against the backdrop of World War II France and it's kind of a family story. Uh, it's literary fiction about family love and loss uh, in World War II France, and, and she goes through different parts of the book there. Um, then we have a, a, a pastor and community activist, Greg Gerrell. He uh, set up, um, well, he, he actually began living in, about 10, 15 years ago, the community of Enderley Park uh, mm. over there on the west side of Charlotte. Okay. Um, and he's written this book that kind of ties together jazz music um, with, the, with the story in Enderley Park. And uh, it's kind of one of those stories that, uh, you know, you talked about being a white person, you know, not understanding. Right. Well, he's a white person living amongst people of different colors, and he's had to learn along the way, too. Right. And he's trying to help other white people understand what we don't know. Right. You know? And, and uh, he calls it a riff of love because he ties that in with his sax playing but but he really pushes us in the book and i i, I kind of joked with him that i said uh, greg this could be kind of a rant of love can't it? <laughs> <laughs> he, he was okay with that he was okay with that so then we have uh, another episode this we brought, several episodes we brought two authors on together um miriam heron and christy hallberg miriam was in town reading uh her story uh, that that uh won contest with the North Carolina Literary Review, and it was about Cambodian refugees uh, here in Charlotte. Christie read a story about Freddie Mercury, the, the, the star of the rock group, yeah. Queen. excellent. And it's a, it's, it's a great essay. And then there's some some mystery here, also ties back to World War II. A lot of, a lot of World War II stuff in yeah. this season coming up. And then we have uh, interesting, more literary fiction, Catherine Swilly, What Luck This Life, is literary fiction inspired by the ordinary lives on the ground after the Columbia uh, oh, space wow, shuttle yeah. disaster, and so what she did was, she made the main character essentially the town hmm. and the people that were in it, not what fell from the sky, yep. but what happened to the people on the ground after it right. fell. Right. And you don't really think about that, right? Yeah. But they for, think about the debris Absolutely. and what they ran across for two, sure. three, four years, and it dealt with all those uh, uh, the fallout there. Wow. Then I brought two poets on, David Radovich and Didi Wilson. They read uh, what what I'd like to think of as books of connected poetry so if you're mm -hmm. not you know if you like a good story these kind of tie together because they're poems that that run together um david uh, has a uh, book called america abroad an epic of discovery which explores the grand adventure of american settlement and expansion in the world over several centuries and uh Didi has a book called the new orleans years about a young woman who is brought uh, to new orleans uh, sort of made the wife of a ship captain and then uh 
course, he's out philandering, and somehow okay. he gets shot in a duel, and <laughs> turns out to be the person who ends up marrying her the second time. So oh, it's gosh. kind of a little little mystery there. So that, that's pretty good. Uh, then Jeff Jackson. I don't know if you knew Jeff, but Jeff wrote a book called "Destroy All Monsters." It's an epidemic of violence that's attacking the punk rock world. Ben Marcus called this a book that surges with new century anxiety and paranoia, a clear-eyed, stone-cold vision of what's to come. Uh, didn't know much about punk rock bands, but mm-hmm. apparently here we're in this neighborhood, you know, you can find them, uh, Plaza sure. Midwood. And yep. uh, actually Jeff plays in uh, one of those bands, and we play a little of his music on the show. So awesome. that's, that's kind of good. That's great. And then we have uh, Lisa Saunders. Lisa is was one of the first female Episcopal priests in Florida. Um, she's written a memoir, and Lisa is one of those Episcopal ministers that everybody wants to have at uh, – preach their funeral you know because she has a little levity to it a little humor but nice. also ties back in and so she's written this memoir that, that sort of weaves her life together with the homilies that she's preached over mm-hmm. the years then we have uh two more uh, poets uh, david poston and alice osborne alice sings a little bit not david she actually brought her guitar in here hmm. and she sings uh, some she's kind of obsessed with this the family called the donner party which uh I think it was the 1800s got lost right, in the Sierra right, right, Nevada right. mountains, okay. and the mother had to pick herself or her husband over her children. And, oh, uh, my you know, gosh. You know, and so the children survived, but she and her husband didn't. We talk a little bit about Frankenstein and uh, David Poston's poem about Chuck Norris and Jesus. And uh, <laughs> so uh, we, it's a lot of fun in that in that episode. Nice. Uh, Lisa Klein then, next to last in, in, in the lineup, is uh, – She's a young adult novelist mm-hmm. uh, with a humorous take on young love and, and, and the high school environment, and that's a lot of fun. She reads a few essays as well. And then we finish up with Martha Kearse, um, The Sun is Up, A White Minister Speaks on White Privilege. So we're dealing with um, you know, lots of different issues in this season. Sure. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of different things. So what are you dealing with these days? What am I dealing with these days? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that means. Um, are you asking like what's next? What's yeah, on the horizon? I think that's I think it's a what's you know, next kind of question. We get yeah. you know we get that question a lot, and yeah. I, I have no idea. You don't know what's I have coming. No idea. Right? No, yeah. you yeah. know. Thankfully, you know, uh, I get to audition on a semi-regular basis. But um, you know, as I was saying before, you, we know I don't know how those are going to turn out. So I mean, I'm auditioning. I'm auditioning and crossing my fingers and hoping for the best. So just to be clear on your podcast, you release what, about once every two weeks? Is every it? two weeks, yes. Every two weeks. And do you have some guests coming up that you can talk about? Uh, well, I mean, the next episode, the I just released one this week with an actor named Kevin Johnson, who uh, you may know from the TV show Ozark. Uh, mm-hmm. He plays the uh, <laughs> kind of a, the pushover. Mo- Kevin's the, the comic relief of Ozark, thank God. That show is so dark and so heavy. Uh, that it needs a little bit of levity. He's the real estate guy, right? Yeah, he's the real estate okay, guy. Because I listened to this episode too. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who then became the manager of the strip club in season two, and it's just, it's just great. He does a great, great job. Kevin's wonderful. Um, and but, then, but you know, before you mention the next one, but the thing that struck me about that episode, and you, you asked him a lot about this, is, mm-hmm. but then he's driving an Uber. Yeah. So he's he's got this gig in two seasons of Ozark, which yep. is real popular on yep. Netflix, and. Yep. But he's still having to drive an Uber still to pay the bills. Still driving an Uber, yep, so, in between. So you got to love this thing called acting to yep. do what you do. Yep. And, you've, I mean, and, and, you know, it is show business. So, I mean, there's also that side of it where it's like, okay, when you are on a roll and you have something going, you got to be 
smart about your money and how you're spending it. I'm not to say that Kevin's not, but I mean, you know, it's very easy to find yourself uh, getting a run of luck and it's just like, hey, things are great and I'm making some money and it's going to keep going. And then all of a sudden it stops. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, now what do I do? Mm Because like I said, you don't know when the next job is going to come. So, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, there are all kinds of things that go along with the, the business side of acting that, you know, only add to the level of frustration and insecurity. Um, money being one of the biggest ones. So, yeah, it's not what everybody thinks that it is. You know, just because you're on TV, even, you know, a few episodes of a show or one episode, you know, we're you not getting rich. Know, we're not. We're, they yeah. might kill you off or they might yeah. not bring you back. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So It's a good um, thing you're not on Game of Thrones. You, even if you're famous, you right. could get killed off. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you've been at it for years. I mean, you've got about 25 actors on your podcast. Or uh, I've done 27. 27. Well, I, I've got, I'm sorry. No, I've released 28 episodes okay. so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I've got uh, my really good friend, Rob Trevelier, who is also on the TV show Ozark. He plays the, uh, he plays the sheriff. I don't know if you watch the show. Oh, yeah. I've watched the show. Yeah. She yeah. plays Sheriff Nix. Uh, Rob's a really good, really, really good friend of mine. We've known each other for years and years and years. We've worked on a lot of stuff together. So uh, Is this the sheriff that goes up to deals with the people up on the hill? Yep. Who's who's supposedly in their back yep. pocket early on, but then, yep. then he kind of shifts? And, yeah. And Rob, yeah. you know, Rob's been in everything, everything, everything. It seems like that. He's and had, he's local, you know, too? Yeah. 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 He, he lived right over in Plaza Midwood for the longest time, uh, hmm. he and his wife. And... Um, yeah, he was in the movie Sully with uh, with with Tom Hanks, uh, directed by Clint Eastwood. He was in the movie The Accountant. Um, he was in The Mist. He's been in all kinds of stuff, you know. So again, Rob's one of those guys, and Rob's really close to being on that next level. Mm-hmm. He's you know really, and he's been doing it for even longer than I have. Wow. So you know, it's a long road, man. It's yeah. a long road, but I mean, things can happen at you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, on a dime. Yeah. Hope, hope springs eternal, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so we can we can find you on your website, mm-hmm. uh, brianlafontaine.com. Yes. And we can listen to your podcast through the – we can connect with you on the Queen City Podcast Network mm-hmm. uh, or at your website. And then you got all these shows. Go to, your, go to the website listeners and look at some of the clips, and, and you'll say, oh, yeah, okay, I, I remember that guy. He's the doctor, whatever. Yep. Well, that's it for today. A fine actor giving voice to my written words – a primer on the Queen City Podcast Network and a highlight reel of what's coming on Charlotte Reader's Podcast in Season 3. If you liked our show, we'd appreciate your help in spreading the word. Please tell your friends. Please subscribe to the podcast, which is free, by the way, and leave a short written review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews are kind of like the gasoline that drive traffic to the podcast. And if you like, if, if you like this kind of thing, you connect with us on social media. we got social media links and YouTube links with author videos at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. And if you have an idea for an author to be on the show, you can email us at our author submission page. And if you sign up for our email list at our website, we will give you a free ebook, a work of fiction written by your host. And by the way, if you do sign up, we promise not to spam you because actually that takes too much time. We just send you periodic updates about the show. You can also find out more about the show and our sister shows at the Queen City Podcast Network website, queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Next week, as I said, we will have Gavin Edwards lead off season three with tales about Tom Hanks and Bill Murray. Who are you going to call? I hope you will join us. Until then, I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Reader's Podcast.